Howdy do you fans and welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 221. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems not a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire and do that. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years, and not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes, and it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Howdy do who fans. Welcome back to the Big Blue Box Podcast, episode 221. I hope you've all had a cracking couple of weeks. Mm. And uh, you've all managed to do something, something Doctor, Doctor who, who related. related. <laughs> Apologies for last week. No show, it was my fault as usual. Mm-hmm. One of those weeks where just busy life stuff to do. Blimmin' work. Blimmin' blimmin', blimmin' work. Beeping Why do we have work. to work? I know, mate. It's one of, yeah. Still need to figure out a way of not having to work, but still have money. It's mm. quite it's quite the conundrum. It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. I feel like uh, Tom Good in The Good Life, just completely stop working and just grow every, all your vegetables and live in a, <laughs> in a tent. I'll just be completely sustainable, yeah. That'd That's be. it, yeah, yeah. But still... Yeah, it still doesn't solve the money issue. Imagine having all your Doctor Who stuff in a tent as well. That'd be a nightmare, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> On those little sort of uh, canvas IKEA shelves that are like collapsible that you hang in your wardrobe. Yeah. You probably put a couple of those around the top tent pole. <laughs> Try to balance a Harrop figurine. <laughs> Come on. Oh, crikey. Yeah. Well, if it falls, if it falls down, <laughs> at least it's on a, it falls onto a sleeping bag or something soft. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah. Not a wooden floor, so. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, don't want to start off on a bummer. Mm. Hope you've all, like I said, have a, had a good couple of weeks and you've managed to do something. We've got some cool news to go through. The last few weeks has been very dry and barren for news. That's been, yeah. Yeah, but this week we've uh, we've almost got a full house. Mm. I was worried we wouldn't have anything actually, but yeah, we've got some good stuff today. We have got some good stuff. Mm. Yes, yeah, and an on-to-our review of the Mutt's 
<laughs> the mud. The mutos. No, wrong story. Mm. The mutants. Mm. Mm. We haven't done any um, Pertwee for a while. It has been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, I've missed that flowing velvet cape of his. It really has been quite a while. Mm. I can't remember the last Pertwee story we did. It was Oof. probably... Um, it was probably, he says, rushing to look at the spreadsheet. I can't remember the last one we did. Oh, crikey. Episode 183. The No, mm. no, 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 not that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Episode 183, The Time Monster. Oh, The Time Monster, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yes. What do we rate that, just out of interest? Because that's one that doesn't get very favourable reviews that often. Um, what did it get? Because I seem to remember we thought it wasn't that bad. Like yeah. A lot of people don't like it, but we thought it was all, all right. Where are you? While you're looking, I'll just tell you that Matthew Sweet um, posted a, a picture on uh, Twitter the other day because, you know, he's been doing all these extras for the new Blu-ray sets. Oh, yeah. Yep. And he was filming outside a, um, an old manor house and he didn't say anything. He just said filming for the something Doctor Who related. And um, so I'm guessing the, the next, so after season 18, I'm guessing the next one's going to be a Pertwee set because it was the place that they used to for the three doctors and the five doctors it was uh, that location yes. so i'm guessing i'm guessing three three doctors which would be series 10 maybe something around there anyway yeah pretty sure pert we set coming soon because i've been saying how i don't know how they're going to remaster those the, the picture quality the source material they've got for a lot of the pert we era is uh pretty ropey so they're going to really struggle with that but it'd be good to have some pert we on blu-ray absolutely yeah. just a shame they're not all in on film like mm. Spearhead. Otherwise, it'd look amazing. Imagine the Pertwee era all on film. Oh, it'd be glorious, wouldn't it? But no. Yes. Uh, the Time <laughs> Monster, um, I gave it a six. A you, six? You gave it a 6.5. Oh. Yeah. So not that high then. Not that high, but not too, <laughs> not too low either. No. I think I've added on an extra 0.5 for Benton's nappy scene at the end, which we don't see, thank God. Oh, God, yeah. 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 yeah so some Pertwee coming up later. Hopefully. Oh, yeah, on, on this show. Sorry, I thought you meant on the rest. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Later, yeah, yeah, definitely coming up on this show. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I haven't been up to too much, mate, but I know that you have been out and about as usual. You attended a, mm. um, was it a Phantom event at the weekend? Yeah. Yeah, I went to a Phantom uh, event in Chiswick at the weekend and uh, had an absolutely fantastic day because we're being spoiled at the minute with some glorious sunshine, which... Um, by the time this podcast goes out, will have ended because <laughs> according to the weather report, it's rain from tomorrow. But the last few days have been glorious. And uh, so I went up to sunny old Chiswick in London to one of the Phantom events. And um, it was just a brilliant day. It was just chilling out with lots of Who fans. They've got a little courtyard bit and we're all sat out there chatting about stuff that only Doctor Who fans would find interesting. It was brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, and I did meet a couple of the guests. There, there, weren't, there was only a few there that I really wanted to meet, but I met um, Samuel Oatley, who played Tim Shaw from Series 11. Oh, yeah. Um, I believe it's his first sign-in event, actually. And it, he was a genuinely really nice guy, very engaging, um, really chatty, really friendly. Looked like he was having a blast, actually. Seemed to really enjoy it. Um, so I got a, a signed picture of him with all the, you know, the teeth in his face <laughs> and all that. <laughs> And uh, he said he really enjoyed doing it. And, I, you know, he said, oh, I loved it. So he said it was a great part to play. And 
I was like, you coming back then for Series 12? He said, oh, I don't know. Hopefully they, they might ask you back. I was thinking, you know, come on. <laughs> um, so he was a really nice guy. I, I was going to ask him how his toe was uh, after Graham shot him in the foot, but I didn't want to didn't want to ruin <laughs> the moment. Um, but yeah, so that was good. And I also met uh, Adele Lynch, who played the Empress in, uh, you know, the Empress Ice Warrior. Yes. Oh, yeah. In yeah. the Empress of Mars, because they had a really cool picture of her, because that was a great suit actually that she wore for that i liked that design i think it they sort of tweaked the ice warrior look just enough to make it it was good awesome yeah yeah so i got a really cool picture of that sign she was very nice as well and uh, and also met edward de souza and and the reason is because he's part of this mission to the unknown remake that peter purvis is doing which i think is terribly exciting and um (laughs) the whole time i was in the queue because i can never think what to say to people when i meet him i don't know about you i sort of think oh i'll just i'll just say can you sign it and move shuffle along um but with him i was thinking yeah i can actually speak to him about something i know about and I, so i get there get to the table um he threw me completely tracks he said oh that's a good picture and he signed it i said yeah it's a nice one i wonder what it's from and then we started talking about the picture i was getting him to sign <laughs> walked away from the table didn't even mention <laughs> mission to the unknown i was like oh blimey but i did go back to him right at the end of the day um when there was no queue and we had a lovely little chat and about that and he was saying about peter posting loads of pictures from it and how exciting it all is and so yeah that was very good so those are the only three i met but it was a it was a brilliant day really good that sounds awesome mate i love those smaller events in chiswick really nice, yeah aren't they? yeah yeah it was nice we i was trying to think what we were, we were talking about all sorts of little things outside in the courtyard you know like i said the, the things that if anyone was to eavesdrop on the conversation that was not too fat they think what on earth are they talking about um, I think we were talking about how much, how many seconds they cut from the John Hurt to Eccleston Doctor in uh, Day of the Doctor and <laughs> things like that. You know, just little things that only us Doctor fans, Doctor Who fans, care about. So, yeah, it was very cool. Sounds great, mate. Really yeah, cool. it was a very good day. Yeah, I do like those events. It's the first one I've been to this year, and um, yeah, I've got to do more of those. Really good fun. They are. And then just to rewind a little bit because we didn't. Uh, speak about it last week there was no show but uh, we had a very cool day at the Logopolis showing at the BFI now that was a brilliant day wasn't it very very good it was yeah I kind of got a new appreciation for that story because uh, it's one of those when when you're watching it on the big screen there are two things that happen for me the first one is you never realize how funny some of the scripts are for classic Doctor Who until you hear a cinema or cracking up laughing at certain points that you wouldn't necessarily mm. laugh at when you're watching it at home. Uh, yeah. So that's really cool. And also, um, the, all of the focus is on Tom for that story and, you know, pretty much everything mm. from Tom's era. But it's actually a pretty good Adric story. Look up, it is. Think about it, it is actually. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just never really, that never came into my mind before whenever I've been to any type of event and I've got onto the subject of classic who and Logobolus have come up. I've never really, uh, sort of bring or sort of brought Adric into the conversation too much. It's always been about the regeneration, obviously, and the master and some other bits. And, but yeah, it's actually, for some reason I just came away thinking, ah, that was maybe because Matthew Waterhouse was doing his big brash thing in the Q and a, but, um, Mm. Yeah, it's funny it you say good. that because I, I had the same thought actually exactly the same thought and I, I can only assume it's because we knew Matthew was there because I've never really thought about that either mm. but yeah the whole time I was watching I was thinking yeah he's and he's he's good at it as well you know like sometimes we say about Matthew's performance <laughs> you know and he was quite young and he was oh god he's really cringy in that episode where he's actually pretty good in it I think him and Tom work really well mm. in that story together and I think 
you know, sort of, I think I can give him a bit of slack really for for that because I, d- I do think he's really good and it is a good story for him. But yeah, the same as you, I've never really sat there and thought that before. And I can only assume it's because Matthew was there and it sort of highlighted it to me that, oh, actually, he's probably watching this thinking, I'm not bad in this, you know. <laughs> yeah. He's probably thinking, yeah, I'm actually good. I'm actually good in this one. <laughs> I'm actually good in this one. Um, uh, another thing I thought was good about it, which I think before we went, I was saying that I don't like it when they do new effects because I like the old effects. Um, you know, I just think that's part of the charm of Classic Who is is the old special effects. But they've done some updated effects for this one, which we got to see. So we got to see the sort of revamped version that's going to be on the Blu-ray. Um, and they haven't done too much to it, have they? There's just a couple of bits like the, the TARDIS shrinking and they have added in some new clips when Tom falls from the tower before the regeneration. So there was a couple of bits. And I have to say, I've got to eat my words a bit because I thought they worked quite well. Right. I actually right. thought they were pretty decent because... They weren't sort of like new CGI, really. They'd sort of use models and things. I mean, there was a shot of the TARDIS landing, which had replaced something. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's new. And it was quite brief, but it was a really lovely shot of the TARDIS on the, in the grass sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I actually really liked the new effects. I know you weren't as fond of them, but maybe it's because I was expecting them to be really bad. But I thought they were quite good, especially the shrinking TARDIS. I think that looked a lot better. Yeah, I was undecided, really, mm. because I thought some of them were very good. So the one that you mentioned, the the TARDIS, the newer ones are very good. And mm. some of those newer sort of sweeping shots of the, the huge satellite dish and so on. Oh, yeah, I liked that. They yeah. looked really nice. Almost looked like somebody, had, you know, like modern filmmaking use a lot of drone work these days for aerial shots. Mm. It almost looked like, like somebody had flown a drone up somewhere and... Filmed it yesterday. It looked very good. But the only, mm. I think, the only effect that I wasn't too keen on. Actually, the other effect that was really good is when Adric and Nissa go in and out of um, that particular universe. Or oh yeah, so it goes into a negative effect. Yeah, so that yeah. was very good. That was well done, and it kind of suited the time as well because that type of mm. effect has been around for donkey's years. So it's you know, sort of slots in nicely. The only one I wasn't too keen on was the the outside shots of the. Um, the Logopolites, you know, as you see, there's yeah, sandy looking yeah. caves, and it, I do it, know what you mean. Yeah. It was a little bit, it felt a little bit George Lucasy to me. Mm. It felt like you know, let's have this nice CG shot of this big environment with the sand houses and huts and whatever, and we'll, a little CG person walking along. You know, it just felt a bit special edition Star Wars, which wasn't great. But no. other than that, it was very, very good. The other bit I was waiting for, which I thought they might have changed, which they did, was you know when Tom's on the sort of scaffold or whatever it is, and he's before, just before he falls, he's trying to get to the cable at the regeneration. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. And then the, there's a, in the original, the, there's like this sort of CSO'd photo of the master in the doorway, <laughs> just motionless. He doesn't move. It's just a static photograph. And I thought, oh, they, they must have changed that. They have, but they've kind of just, <laughs> they've kind of just made his head move from side to side a little haven't they it wasn't quite as good as I hoped I I mean I guess it's difficult to really do anything with that shot but that was the only thing I kept thinking oh I hope they've improved that bit and it yeah they have but just not that much do you know what I mean he, he sort of looked like he was laughing in the new version yeah, it made his bit. sort of head wobble from side to side mm-hmm. um, but the other thing I noticed and I think we both spoke about this after the screening was that there's an inserted shot where they've put a new bit of Tom sort of dangling just before he falls, which looks quite good. But the music in the auditorium went crazily loud. Yeah, it did. Yeah. 
Now, we know that they're kind of, they seem to be rushing these Blu-rays and there, there has been errors on the first couple, you know, of releases, uh, most notably on the season 12, but there was one on the season 19, which they didn't bother to correct. Um, so I'm just hoping that isn't uh, an author in error. You know, I hope they spot that and correct it because my friend was arguing, saying, no, no, it's probably just, you know, it's probably just somebody hit the button. And I said, no, 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 because it's too much of it. It must be on the original source because... It was exactly when the new clip was inserted and then it went back to normal exactly when the new clip ended. It's That's too true. much. Nobody accidentally hit the volume at those at the exact right time. It's got to be mm-hmm. an, an, an error because it's too coincidental. So I hope that they pick up on that because it was really noticeable, wasn't it? The music was sort of distorted for that sort of four seconds with the new inserted clip. So, yeah, I really hope because I, I want this set to be perfect. I love you know, season 18, is there's some great stuff in there. And I, I just don't want more errors. I don't want to be sending my discs back to BBC worldwide again, you know. <laughs> but it did go really loud, didn't it? We Everyone sort of looked at each other and went, oh, what's happening? It was a little, yeah, I know what you mean. It mm. was a little bit like, hmm, what's going on? Mm. But, but overall, yeah, it's really good. I mean, we haven't reviewed Agopolis, so I don't want to say too much about the story itself, but it, I will say it was great to see it on the big screen. And like you said, there's bits that you seem to notice, I think, when you're watching with other people, that when you're just watching at home, mm-hmm. you don't sort of pick up on. Like, Aunt Vanessa seems to have a lot of love. And I, I love Aunt Vanessa, but, you know, there were laughs at pretty much every line that she came out with, you know, like the night errant stuff and yeah. things like that. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't really sit there cracking up when I've watched yeah. it at home, but in yeah. the cinema, ever, you know, you just sort of, you get swept along with the, the vibe of the room, I suppose, is the best way to call it. A bit hippie, yeah. but, you know, you get... You know, everyone sort of gets in the same zone, if you like. Mm. What did you think of the Q&As afterwards? Yeah, they were good. We had another... It seems to be that script editors from back in the day grow up to be very... uh, I say grow up. They grow older to be very sort of deadpan-y, borderline sort of grumpy um, uh, people, don't they? Because I assume they get asked the same questions all the time. Mm. And also... um, they just it almost feels like we we hold their their place in doctor who history at a lot higher esteem than what they see themselves yeah because a lot of there was one guy that it was really it was a sort of a combination of funny and awkward really because as they were passing a microphone around people were saying you know some pretty good questions and there was this one guy that said you're viewed as a bit of a legend within classic who and in tom's era in in the writing stuff uh would you be around afterwards to sign some stuff and things? And yeah, and uh, and uh, his response was just no. Um, <laughs> I'm here with a, with some people. They're probably going to sweep me away afterwards. But yeah. it was very similar when we saw Eric Sayward as well. He mm. was very much like so. Is Eric really sort of uh, enthusiastic, upbeat question? So Eric, what do you reckon? You know that? And his reply was just no. Yeah, and very deadpan. Yeah, so it seems yeah. to be that these guys just treated it as just a normal job. You know, they worked in TV for donkey's years. They treated it as any other job. But us as Doctor Who fans were like, you know, this is amazing. This guy, you know, thought of all this stuff because it was really interesting him talking about how he worked with uh, Tom and how he worked with mm. um, uh, J&T. Barry Letts. 
and, and mm. those people and how they crafted this whole thing about they felt that Doctor Who was getting a little bit silly perhaps and a little bit sort of too mystical and magical up to this point and they wanted to bring it back to its sort of scientific roots and ground it a little bit more and make it, you know. So you have all this cool, amazing stuff, but, you know, they just treat it as, yeah, I just... Because that was a bit of a theme, the guy interviewing him, did, you know, he did say, did you, there's, knew, there's, did, you, did you know that you were onto something, you know, massive, this is amazing yeah. stuff? And he was just like, not really, it was just the job that I had to do. And it was just bizarre to hear them say that. Yeah, because it's funny because it's uh, Christopher H. Bidme, the writer you're talking about, and he he did seem quite overwhelmed by the response, didn't mm. he? He said, "Well, I I'm amazed at the, you know, positive reaction to this story that I wrote forty odd years ago." Whatever, um, and he did seem genuinely sort of taken aback by it. But I think you're right. I think they just saw it as a job back then, I suppose, as you would. Um, but I I actually really enjoyed him being interviewed. He was <laughs> quite, he was quite direct. He was very candid, wasn't he? He was very honest. Um, there was a awkward moment i think when he said to the the interviewer asked him something and he said christopher replied like i'm not getting through to you am i or something like that I was like, oh god he's off he's off yeah um he did he reminded me a little bit of eric sayward in in the way he was very sort of frank about stuff and wasn't afraid to give his opinion which i i really like i love it when you know that they're telling it how they see it or saw it back then um but whereas eric's very softly spoken uh, Chris was quite vocal, wasn't he? Um, so I, I really enjoyed him in the Q and A. Um, Matthew was up on stage again, and was Matthew was Matthew. Uh, he's he is quite entertaining, isn't he? But he's very. I think they need to tell him there's a microphone in front of him because he he's very animated and quite loud, isn't he? Oh, Compared yeah, to everyone yeah. else on the stage, which is fine. You know, it makes for good entertainment. But yeah, I thought those two were really good. They were actually yeah. and, in the Q and A. One thing that I did notice afterwards was Matthew Waterhouse was a little bit sort of cranky, not quite as upbeat as he sometimes is at these things. And I, my opinion is, and uh, I don't know if anyone shares this, but when he's at a Q&A and he gets a lot of questions about Adric and Adric's character and how he developed that character and all that stuff, he seems to sort of really love the you know, those those lines of questions. But any Q&A where the bulk of the questioning is about Tom, he seems to just feel like, why am I, sort of the look in his face sometimes is a little bit like, why am I here? I, you know, I didn't come here to answer questions about Tom Baker for half an hour, mm. you know. Mm. So, because there were a lot of questions about Tom. It's the usual stuff like, when did you find out Tom was leaving? What yeah. was the atmosphere like on set with you and Tom? What was Tom like to do this? And, you know, all that stuff. And it, it seems like a combination of, I've answered this question a thousand times before, you know, at various cons and Q&As, all the rest of it. And secondly, you've asked me one question out of 20 about Adric, and the rest has all been about Tom and stuff. So I just get a little a feeling that he's a little, sometimes he, he's a little bit resentful, you know, of the mm. questioning because it's not about Adric. It's about the story and about Tom and stuff like that. So... But he was good at the Q&A. He was okay. I could just tell in his face when people were asking a question, he sort of leaned back in his chair a little bit and just to say, oh, here we go. Yeah. He, he definitely wasn't as upbeat as he was at the last event with Eric Sayward. That, that's for sure. Because, you know, they often, after the screenings, they'll, you know, come out of the green room and do signings and stuff. And um, Adrian Gibbs, who was there, he played the watcher. He came out and signed for everyone. Mm. Uh, Christopher H. Bidmead had already said on stage he wasn't going to, which is fair enough. He he left straight after the event. Uh, I think he had his family there. So, you know, I don't think it was a case of, I don't know. He just didn't. He said he wasn't <laughs> going to do it and he didn't. So that's fine. Yeah. Um, but Matthew, um, 
uh, I, you know, was in the green room and I said, I was, you know, there's a few of us waiting to meet him after. And um, a friend of mine, Ellie, it's the first time she'd sort of met him or was going to meet him. And she said, oh, is he quite nice? I said, oh, yeah, he'll be out in a minute. He, he always comes out and signs. He's he's really nice. And anyway, after about 20 minutes, he, he emerged and completely blanked everyone. Everyone went, Matthew, Matthew. And he just he just put his head down and walked walked away. And Ellie looked at me and I went, oh, he's he's normally quite up for signing, but perhaps he's not in the mood today. And he just left. And it, it was bizarre because I've never seen I've never seen him like that. He didn't even acknowledge us, sort of say, "Oh, sorry, guys, I got to go," or or anything. He just he just left. And so yeah, I I don't think he was in the best of moods. So I I did see him in the bar afterwards, um, and a few people were getting pics of him. But he, I did hear him say something about, "Oh, I've had enough now," or something. So right. maybe just maybe he's a bit jet lagged. I think he lives in the states and so I don't know. But yeah, he wasn't as happy as. No, no last time i think that's for sure but it was a shame i'd literally just said to my friend five minutes earlier yeah he's yeah he, he always signs and he, and and then he, he just, just walks off fast, yeah. yeah just breeze past so he wasn't in the best of moods but but it was a great day it was a brilliant and I, I have to say i just want to just get this out of the way for me personally and i think you'll agree with me the atmosphere was brilliant there because yes. it was slightly overshadowed i feel a little bit by um there is, you know, a lot of stuff on Twitter. When I come out of the BFI, my whole Twitter feed was filled with people talking about when they often give away DVDs as prizes. So they get do a little quiz in between or at the start of it. And when it got to one of the prizes, they said, right, next up, we've got series 11, Doc 2. A few people went, oh, sort of laughed. And a couple of people, ooh, like that. Very pantomime, all in jest, wasn't it? It was, it was probably about 10 people. It was a handful. It wasn't like the whole room went, boo, yeah. or anything like that. But it all kicked off on Twitter, and it was a massively exaggerated. Uh, would you agree with me? It was nothing like it was made out. It was just yeah. a handful of people that mm -hmm. jokingly sort of went, "Oh no, thanks," woo, like that, and you know, a bit of laughter, and that was it. Um, but then, yeah, on Twitter afterwards, just reading on the, you know, on the way home, that's all I could read was like, "Oh, the writers are in the audience. How awful for them!" Everyone booed. It's like, no, it, it, everyone didn't boo. A couple of people booed. I don't think any of us knew the writers were in the audience. Two of the writers from series 11, I don't even know who they were, were in the audience apparently. But it wasn't it wasn't anywhere near what was made out on Twitter and it turned into such a big thing. And the only reason I mention it is because it, for me, it overshadowed what was a, a really good event with a great atmosphere, really nice atmosphere. And if you, if you look on Twitter, you'd think it was some sort of, I don't know. You just think it was really bad. You know, it was like, oh, fandom has turned disgusting. And this fan, what's happened to the Doctor Who fandom? And it was really sort of blown out of proportion in my mind anyway. No, I, I don't agree. think it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, you know, people should have booed, but it was, it was literally like a smattering at the most. And it was very pantomime, wasn't it? It wasn't like, it wasn't heartfelt. Ooh, people weren't throwing tomatoes at the stage or anything. It was just literally like people just messing around, really. But no. it turned into a big thing. I just think it's a shame because it did slightly overshadow what was a fantastic event. Yeah, I said the same thing afterwards, mate. Mm. There was a few people that tweeted out that they were not happy about it. But the, the phrase that I just I said, look, this is a bit of a storm in a teacup. <laughs> For mm. me, it's very much because, like you said, there was only a sort of three or four people tops, you know, that had a little giggle and a couple of people booed. And it was over within like three seconds. Yeah, and then we were we were on with the rest of it, and it was all good. So, you know that, yeah, we oh, crikey. The thing that really gets me is that most of the people that were 
were, were moaning about it weren't even at the screening. That's what I was getting really exactly. cross about. Yeah. Most of the people that were trying to, uh, for want of a better word, stir up, you know, a story weren't even there, you know, and I, it did, it did, it did annoy me. I have to be honest, thinking it was very much in jest. It wasn't anything like you're making out at all. Not at all. You no. Know, so. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we could talk, I could talk for a very long time about people these days and why they're so easily offended and all that stuff, mm. you know, that's a, a whole different subject, but yeah, just, it was nothing. Like you said, it was, just, it was just a funny little few seconds and then everyone forgot about it within a few seconds, but then there yeah. was just a couple of people that didn't want to let it go. And mm. I mean, anyways. even the people on stage giving away the prizes were like, well, they, they made a joke, didn't they? Like, well, we've got the complete second series of Poldark. Who wants that? And then it was more laughing and joking. You know I mean? It was, it was all, it was just a bit of fun really. I mean, yeah bit blown out of proportion um just quickly before we wrap this up i also did like we got to see a couple of the new extras that are included on the on the new set which oh, were yes. really good so we got yep. to see a bit of behind the what do they call it behind the sofa yeah um with tom um who else is on that sofa with him uh canine john leeson's on there with him and oh the june, old, hudson. june hudson june yeah. hudson the yeah. old <laughs> june hudson yeah i love june hudson so they looked quite fun didn't they yes can't wait so. to see those yeah. Did you tear up when there's, there was a little section from the new making of where Tom was talking about leaving? And there was a moment when he got quite emotional, and I I did as well. Were you sat there getting emotional? That he was saying about, can't remember now, but it being the best job he ever had. But he did, he did get quite yeah. almost to the verge of looking a bit teary when mm-hmm. he was talking about leaving. I thought that was really sad. Mm, I think a lot of people did. Mm. Yeah. They look really I can't good, wait. Those I can't wait for the new set. I'm so looking forward to season 18 coming out. Is it next week or the week after? It's been put back, I think. Yeah, it's um, March the 14th or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that'll be good. Very good. Yeah, so that's what we've been up to. Mm. Out and about, as usual. Mm. Um, but we have got some news and merch, so let's do it. First up for news, there's a new virtual reality special coming, starring Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor. Uh, They'll be able to step inside, uh, we'll all be able to step inside a virtual reality version of the new TARDIS. Oh, wow. uh, In a short uh, VR special called The Runaway, um, which we have no date on yet. It's just labelled as coming soon from the Beeb. Jodie Whittaker will voice the part of the Doctor, so she's back. Um... It's an interactive story, virtual, all that stuff. Um, this has kind of been made popular, remember, I think about a year ago now, possibly longer, when uh, Rick and Morty was at the height of its fame. They brought out this virtual reality game, um, Virtual Rickality, I think it was called. So it's a way of extending the TV show into a, you know an interactive sort of game, and it's becoming quite popular. So the BBC have jumped on board, and they're doing their own version. I don't think it's very long. quarter of an hour, I think it is, 15-minute short. Um, and um, it's going to feature music as well from the composer from Series 11, Segan Akinola, which is very good. And just to give you a bit of blurb on this, um, so viewers will join the 13th Doctor on board the TARDIS in this animated interactive story uh, from Passion Animated Studios. Fans will get the chance to be the Doctor's champion and help her on this exciting adventure as they find themselves at the centre of the action facing a deadly threat. I think that's meant to be companion rather than champion. Ah, yeah. I'm going to take Good old autocorrect, yeah. Yes. 
Uh, so one of the creative dudes over at the BBC, Joe Pierce, has said fans will experience a TARDIS like never before in this thrilling new interactive story. Uh, it's full of warmth, uh, wit and charm, helped by a wonderful performance from Jodie, which puts fans at the heart of the story as they immerse themselves in this beautifully animated world. And uh, it's written by Victoria Asa Archer, directed by Matthias Schillerberg. I hope I'm saying that right. And he's done uh, previous VR stuff, Alice in Wonderland and The Real Thing. Mm. Haven't heard of those, but uh, it's been produced by BBC and it will be out soon, but we don't know when. And I'm guessing it will be out on the PlayStation VR because that's the most used, cheapest, I would say, option for VR. But I think possibly the Oculus Rift stuff as well, but we'll see. Um, I know you've got a PlayStation VR. Your place. Yeah. You're going to pick this up? Um, well, I'll, I'll be intrigued to have a look at it. Um, yeah, it's funny. My partner bought a VR set when it first came out, and I think we've had it out of the box about twice. We never, ever use it, ever. You might um, now. So I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad we've finally got a reason to, to use it. Yeah, I'll have a look at it. I wonder if there'll actually be any more rooms in the TARDIS, because they can't, can't just keep us inside that blooming console room, can no, they? No, well, <laughs> so, hopefully not. Yeah. No, um, so yeah, I'll be intrigued to have a look at it, yeah. Yeah, one thing I will say, though, the animation style is very good. Like, Jodie mm. looks really good in, in animated form. And yeah. I know we're not fans of this interior and this console, but um, it doesn't look too bad in animated form. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm interested in this one. Could be good. Yeah, no, I think, I'd, as I said, I'll definitely have a look at it. It does look quite intriguing. Yeah, for sure. Just uh, hope they get it out soon, because knowing the BBC, it'll probably be, they'll probably moved on to another platform by the time they get it out. <laughs> Uh, in uh, other news, uh, Red Nose Day 2019 is just around the corner. Uh, Friday the 15th of March is the day. And uh, there's a chance to win breakfast with Jodie Whittaker and Mandip Gill um, as part of Red Nose Day. So basically all you've got to do is go online and it costs £10 to enter and you'll be in with a prize of winning that, which is quite cool. You also get, uh, if you do win... Uh, after the breakfast, you will go on a tour of the Doctor Who set, watch the filming and meet the stars and get to speak to the crew who make the show. So that's actually, I mean, it's a pretty wicked prize. That's awesome, it? actually. It's yeah. a great prize. It's got to be worth a tenner just to be in with a chance of it. And it's a great cause as well, Red Nose Day. So, yeah. Yes. If you head over to uh, the website for Red Nose Day, so if you just go to, um, actually, if you do a Google search for just comic relief, Red Nose Day, Breakfast with the Doctor. I think you should find it there, but it's on prizeathon.comicrelief.com. You should be able to find it there. And as Adam said, you can enter uh, for, a, for a tenner, but you can, you can select multiple entries if you want to. So, you, for example, it goes up to 30 entries. So if you want to buy 30 entries for £300, you can do that. Or if you want to buy five entries for 50 quid, you see where I'm going. Um, yeah. And there are 45 days left to win this prize. So although Comic Relief is just around the corner, this actual um, uh, entry, the competition, is open for a, a little bit longer. Um, so that's really cool. And it's in Cardiff as well. So you don't have to, you know, you can go to the the, the true home of Doctor Who, not yes. Sheffield or anything like that. You can actually go to Cardiff and do all the set stuff, as Adam said. So uh, that's very, very cool. You have to be, um, the winner must be a UK resident over 18. Um, and their guests may be under 18, uh, provided they are over 14 years old. So if you want to take your 
your little one or whatever, you can do, but they have to be over 14. But otherwise, fill your boots, man. It sounds like a really good prize. I'd love, I'd love the idea of, because I, when I initially read the headline, I thought, okay, that would be awesome having breakfast, you know, be cool. But it sounds like it's a full day job. So you do your yeah. brekkie, you go off and hang out on set and that would be so good. Uh, I mean, it would be it would be amazing, wouldn't it, just to walk around the sets and and do all that? Yeah. As much as um, we we aren't a fan of the TARDIS interior from Series Eleven, I'd still like to go and visit it and have a look at the actual thing because it's because of the style of it, it's shot so strangely, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's it looks like it's really hard to to shoot. Um, so I'd love to just actually go and have a look at it and see what it's like because it, it's so bitty, isn't it? Yeah. I'd like to see the actual thing, but yeah, watch those little crystals go up and down. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a very good prize. Yeah. It is. Yes. Uh, in other news, uh, the Doctor Who Appreciation Society, the DWAS, uh, is putting some more art pieces, some more prints up for auction for charity, Ooh. which is always good. Mm. Um, so Alistair Pearson uh, has done three very nice looking art prints. Um, that were originally uh, worked up for some of the um, Titan book range uh, back in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Um, so they've got a couple of prints of each pic- of each picture. Only two are, are available. Uh, and there's three of them. Um, uh, so one uh, is going to be auctioned at the um, Capital event uh, in April, which is the Duas's own sort of convention, if you like. Uh, and then the other two are going to go up for auction on their eBay site. Uh, so the three pictures in total, the first one is the Talons of Wang Chiang, which looks really nice. Uh, the Daemons, which is my favourite of the three, um, and um, the Abominable Snowman, which also looks very nice. And uh, the first two, so Talons and the Daemons, uh, they are being sold to raise money for cystic fibrosis research. And the other one, the Abominable Snowman, uh, that's um, being sold in aid of the Royal Theatrical Fund. Uh, which is the charity which Deborah Watling is known for. Right. Uh, so the pictures, um, or the prints, if you like, um, they will be signed by Alistair Pearson, which is nice. Um, and let me have a look when this closes. So the the capital event, like I said, um, is not until April, so that's fine. Uh, the other ones, um, there's probably only a couple of days left by the time you listen to this. So if you're up for these, they do look very nice. Um, just head over to the Dwas underscore auction uh, within eBay. That's the that's their own eBay store, if you like. And you'll see them there. They're on the front page. Um, but yeah, anything like this that raises money for local charities is really good. So Yeah. Yeah, so if you're up for these, have a look at them. They're really good. The, the, the Damon's one looks really, really nice. Yeah, I was going to say the three nice pieces. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably go with the Damon's one. I think that's very cool. Yes. Cool. Uh, it does have to end on sad news, I'm afraid, this week. Uh, Graham Curry uh, has died at the age of 54. Uh, Graham wrote the seventh Doctor story, The Happiness Patrol, starring Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred, uh, a story that actually I really like, um, despite a few production, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, misfallings if you like but it's, it's a great story um and i think we reviewed it i was gonna say not that long ago it probably is ages ago it doesn't feel that long ago and, and we both agreed it's quite an underrated one isn't it because it's you know it does it doesn't have the budget but the actual storyline is, is is really good i think about this a planet where it's um a crime to be unhappy uh is that right a crime to no crime to be um Unhappy, unhappy, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Happiness will prevail, yeah. So, yeah, it's a good story that one. Remember, we said that McCoy was awesome in that as well. Remember that scene where he tells the guy to point the gun at him, 
oh, and says yeah, about yeah. ending a life. And we were like, this is pretty strong stuff, actually. Yeah, it's a good story. I think when you think of it, you immediately think of the Candyman, which kind of can sort of um, perhaps tie your <laughs> image of what the how good the story <laughs> itself is. Although yeah. I love the Candyman, but yeah. So yes, Graham Curry, age 54, has passed away. Sad news, yeah. Mm. Uh, that's going to do for for news certainly we have got a few bits of uh, merch to talk through though so let's get Ooh, right. uh, uh, grumpy knickers in <laughs> merch corner merch corner merch corner I don't know whether to be impressed or disgusted it's a bit rubbish but it's pretty it's very pretty I'm going to talk about some Robert Harrop again yeah, this is very relevant considering what we're reviewing today. Yes, as a as a coincidence, Robert Harrop um, have put up for pre-order. Is it pre-order or just order? Uh, no, it's order. It's in stock. It's yes. just come out. Yes, yeah, literally so, just come out. Yeah. So Robert Harrop have put up um, a, their new figure, which is the um, Salonian Mutant, also known as a Mutt, <laughs> from the story The Mutants. And it's uh, priced at £65. It's available immediately. Uh, so you can uh, jump onto the Robert Harrop website and get that ordered. Availability apparently is a few weeks, though. So you have to wait uh, six weeks for delivery, um, which is not too bad. Mm. Not too bad because, you you know, you can pre-order stuff way out in advance these days. But, um, you know, take your money and then off you go. So the what do you reckon to this then? Because we've always said that the Robert Harrop stuff is for the most part, very good quality and we love the mm. statues and stuff. Is this mutant figure enough of a decent monster, would you say, for you to part with some cash? I, I really like him, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's um, yeah, he's only he's limited to 200, so he's quite limited. No, I, I really like this one. Yeah, I do. Um, we'll get on to the, I don't want to say too much about the story itself because we're about to review it, but as the Harrop figures go, I think they've done a great job on the sculpt on this one. Um, I think he looks really good. Yeah, very, very tempted to get him. Yes. Yeah. Very. What about you? Do you like him? I do like him. I'm not sure if yeah. I like him enough to part with the money. Yeah. But I do okay. like him. I do. I mean, in terms of, I mean, it's nothing to do with um, the quality of Robert Harrop's figure because, as always, it looks amazing. They've done a the, the, not so much the the doctor actor faces, but mm. the actual monsters and robots and all that stuff from who they absolutely nail. This looks bang on. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's great. But unfortunately, Robert Harrop has fallen prey to the new recent Doctor Who branding. It no longer features the very nice no. classic Doctor Who logo. It's now the new logo on that's the Robert right. Harrop boxes. Um, so that's kind of an end. That's, I feel a bit emotional about that. <laughs> so like the end of because Robert Harrop were one of the last companies to kind of hold on to the classic logo on their stuff, you know, because seeing as, mm. you know, um, 95% of all the stuff they do is classic Doctor Who, it seems very appropriate to stick with the classic logo, but alas, they've been... No, they've been told. They've been told to remove mm. that certain Photoshop file that contains the old logo and never to be seen again. But yeah, I'm not sure I like it. Don't get me wrong, like I said, it's not about the quality of the figure. I love it, but I'm just not sure I'm a fan enough of this particular monster. Mm. to part with the cash but if you are into this this particular figure then go for it robertharrop.com you'll see it on the front page there yes and if um, you do like it as we always say with the Harrop figures get it now because when they sell out 
that'll be about 150 quid on eBay, literally. Oh, they, yeah. They, yeah. As soon as they sell out, because they are limited to that number, um, they they do go for crazy prices on eBay. So if you want it, don't miss out. It's a good one, I think. Yes. yes. Right, uh, right. In other news, there's a new B&M exclusive set out of the fourth doctor in his regeneration outfit. <laughs> it's basically John Pertwee's outfit. And a TARDIS. So it's a box set of the TARDIS. And uh, the fourth Doctor wearing John Pertwee's clothes, as I say, exclusive to B&M. These are always really popular. Um, Last year, we had a third Doctor set, which was incredibly hard to get and sold for ridiculous money on eBay. Mm -hmm. Um, So this one, I think they've made a few more. I have seen quite a lot of people on Twitter yesterday manage to get it at the weekend. So it's nice to see people actually getting hold of this set for a change. Um, That's not to say there aren't already loads on eBay for like 50 to 150 quid. Um, but yeah, uh, now I know you're, I know already that you're not going to get this. I know you're not really a fan of the figure sets. I am the opposite. I love them. You love these, don't you? I do. Yeah. I love a TARDIS. Um, <laughs> and I've managed to get one. So my absolute amazement, um, they had one on the shelf. My friend texts me. I've got a friend in the village where I live. Um, and he said, oh, I've just been to B&M. They've got loads of that new TARDIS. So I went, Loads? So I tried to ring him, couldn't get through. I was like, oh, just get on the bus and go. Uh, So I did. And when I got there, there was one left. And I said to him, how many, when you said loads to me an hour ago, and it was was about an hour between me getting there, I said, when you said loads, how many did they have? He's like, oh, I don't know, 10, 15? I was like, they literally had one left when I got there. They're very popular. So I was very, yeah, it's very popular. It's because, yeah, it's because people go and buy as many as they can get their hands on and shove them on eBay. And some people do this thing of customizing them, you know, when they buy them and then smash them to bits and repaint them and put them back together and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it does make it awkward for some people to get hold of. But so I'm doing a review of this in a minute. Um, I love the TARDIS. I think the TARDIS looks great. The Tom figures come in for a bit of stick. <laughs> um, it looks like so many different people like some people say oh tom jones it does actually. um yeah. uh what's his name lawrence llewellyn bowen mm-hmm. um who else have we had oh there's been there's been quite a few references and all of them you can see yes but n- none of them have been tom baker um <laughs> it's yeah the figure itself not that great but i, I love the tardis, the TARDIS looks awesome yeah yeah the, the thing is with these sets as well because i've got the original sets when they were in it forbidden planet and they were made to a certain quality because they were full price b&m's a budget store these sets are made to be a budget set mm-hmm. so the tardis while it looks lovely and it really does actually when you take out the box it's a lovely looking toy but it feels so cheap and plasticky in hand so you can put it on the shelf and think that looks great but if you actually hold it like the doors i could snap them off with two fingers they're so thin compared to the original version of it that came out years ago yeah. for planet which yeah. feels solid and you know, proper thick plastic. These are made to a, a budget, which is why, you know, it's sad to see them sell for like hundreds of pounds on eBay because they're really not, in all seriousness, worth that. Um, these should be nineteen ninety nine. That's how much they're supposed to be for, and they're worth every penny of that in my book. Yes, but that's yeah. all they're worth because mm-hmm. you know they they are a budget set. They are cheaply made. So yeah. So I hope anybody who wants these, I hope you manage to get it for the price. I think. $99.9 is a, is a great price for this set, but I wouldn't pay any more. I would, wouldn't, don't don't panic and buy them on eBay because they're really not worth more than that, I don't think. No, no, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you're not a fan, but you like the TARDIS, don't you? I like the TARDIS. It looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but no, I'm glad you bagged one though, because I remember yeah, last so time. Yeah, so am I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, last time it was a fiasco. Very stressful. I was driving all over the place trying to get one of these. <laughs> yeah, it's a nightmare. That's good, mate. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, last bit of merch, uh, Forbidden Planet. Um, it's a forbiddenplanet.com, should I say. Uh, mm-hmm. They've released a new design based around the fourth Doctor. It's the Would You Like a Jelly Baby design that they've come up with. And they've released uh, three or four products with the same print on. So it's a real kind of, uh, the the big jelly baby font is the big bubble looking glossy font. And it's got the doctor's scarf wrapped around it all and a hand with some jelly babies and stuff like that. It actually looks quite cool. It's it's mm. not your usual design that you would see on Doctor Who stuff. It's more um, sort of contemporary cartoony and not the sci-fi space field and spaceships and all that stuff. Uh, so they brought it out in a T-shirt, a travel pass holder, a magnet, and a mug. <laughs> and uh, the T-shirt is the usual um, uh, price. I think it's seven, yeah, seventeen ninety nine for the mm. T-shirt. Uh, if you want the um, the travel pass, uh, is it a travel pass or the ma- yeah? So the magnet is three ninety nine, and the travel pass holder is two ninety nine. Um, if you want the mug, how much is the mug? I like a mug. Seven ninety nine. Seven ninety nine for the mug. Yeah, mm. um, yeah. So you can get these online or in a Forbidden Planet store. I imagine these will be in the Forbidden Planet stores in twenty twenty seven, sometime. Just <laughs> yeah, they'll be on the shelf in some cabinet in the corner somewhere. It'd be really nice if they put a mug in that cabinet, wouldn't it, to fill the empty void? Yes, the cabinet yeah. of woe, as it's been mm. labelled <laughs> from the London Mega Store. But uh, yeah, I quite mm. like these. I wouldn't. Yeah, uh, the T-shirt actually looks pretty cool. I might pick up the T-shirt next time I'm in London. But you like this? I do. I do, Yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you. I, I'm not bothered about the uh, maybe the mug. I do like a mug, but um, not bothered about the magnet or travel pass. I do like the T-shirt. Mm. I think the T-shirt's nice, but why so expensive? That's the thing Seven, with FP. seventeen ninety nine. Come on, FP. What what are you selling? It's it's not. Yeah, I, I do like the T-shirt. I'm just not sure I like it. Seventeen pounds ninety nine is yes. worth, but yeah, it's nice. Yes, I, I, Four, even fourteen nice, ninety nine would yeah. be okay. I think this, but yeah. Well, that's the thing with um, with Forbidden Planet. They always price their t shirts at around this price. So you just mm. you know, if you like the design, you got to pay for it, I guess. But uh, yeah, if you're going to order from FP online, make sure you buy a, a bunch of stuff with it because they'll charge you four pounds <laughs> yeah. to deliver. So I know you'll be paying twenty one quid for a t shirt. So make sure you bundle some other bits in there and pay just one delivery charge. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, but it is nice. I do like the tea. Yeah. It is. It is quite nice. Yes. Uh, right. That's it for news and merch. It was nice to actually talk through some stuff rather than mm. just watching tumbleweed you know, across the road. So now we're on to our view. What we've got, bud? So yeah, third Doctor story this week: the mutants. Solos will find itself with a new atmosphere. You and the others will be the first settlers on New Earth. Where are we? I can't think why you people ever came here. This planet is one of the richest fuel sources in the galaxy. This planet as it stands is no longer of any use unless we make the atmosphere breathable. Even if it means wiping out every Salonian in the process. Earth is fighting for its survival. The side effects are of no importance. Genocide is a side effect. Already the pollution is causing mutations. And they are killed. The mutants are evil, must be destroyed. He's quite mad. Oh no, Doctor. I told you, Madman lose. I've won. Solos is mine. 
Charlotte is mine. <laughs> He's quite mad. He's quite mad. The marshal. Mm. Is, is that the marshal, that guy? The marshal, yes. The marshal. Yeah, so The Mutants, it was first broadcast back in April to May 1972. 72, right. It was um, written by Bob Baker and Dave Martin, Mm. uh, directed by Christopher Barry, overseen by Terence Dix, and produced by Barry Letts, and it stars, uh, obviously, John Pertwee and Katie Manning. And the story is um, the Doctor's tinkering away and suddenly uh, gets a message from uh, the Time Lords, no less. Mm. Uh, they sort of send um uh he, it's like a sealed pod thing that he can't open it's only you know only the person that who it's been intended for can open it um so it's an un you know it's an unknown message a doctor knows nothing about um and the time lords of handley um already put the um the location to uh skybase around the planet solos into the tardis's satnav so he already knows where to go um, in the 30th century. And when they arrive there, there's a big sort of civil war going on, a bit of a thing going on between um, the the evil marshal, the marshal of Solos, um, and the young Salonian Kai, um, because uh, he's complaining that due to radiation and testing and stuff, it's mutated all of his friends into these mutts and stuff like that. And they're also crippling the planet. The atmosphere is going... Um, but the marshal's unconvinced. He's got scientists that are going to fix the atmosphere, and then they can rule the planet for themselves. Um, so the future of the of the planet and the, the inhabitants relies on this message that the doctor has to deliver. Yes. Set over six parts. Mm. Overall, what do you reckon? So um, yeah, overall, I struggled with this one quite Straight. a bit yeah i found this very hard going it didn't engage me at all actually um to the point where i think i was on episode five and i just really sort of lost interest in the story and i, I really didn't know what was going on <laughs> so i'm quite glad you've done the synopsis because it kind of makes it but yeah I, it, it struggled to hold my attention and um and because of that half the time i didn't know what's going on I, I just found it very dull um, this story um, but the, the bizarre thing with it because it is six parts and I I did them two two and two so I watched two episodes at a time okay. over over three nights so I broke it up because there's no way I could have watched this from start to finish in one night it was so <laughs> the, the pace and everything's so slow um, but the bizarre thing with it is that normally with a six parter or even sometimes a full parter they Sometimes, or most of the time, they sag in the middle. Right. This story, the, for me, the best parts were parts three and four. And I was thinking, oh, that's unusual, because normally this is the point when you're getting a bit bored and there's padding and stuff. But, yeah, the first two episodes were, I found incredibly dull. And I thought, oh, God. So I sort of thought, I'll watch two more tomorrow. I switched it off and really didn't have a clue what was happening in the first two. So I just wasn't paying attention. And I do try. When we're doing a review... I do watch an episode a lot more attentively than I would if I was just watching it for my own enjoyment, if you see what I mean. I do try and actually get into the story so I know what's happening. But yeah, yeah I found that hard to do with this. So first episodes, I was like, oh, dear. Then the following night, episodes three and four, I thought, oh, okay, st- stuff's happening now. This is quite interesting. I mean, there's a bit more location work in the caves and, you know, the mutts are kicking off. And I found them quite funny, wobbling around, trying to look menacing and, there was some psychedelic stuff going on in episode four. And I thought, yeah, okay, <laughs> all right. Maybe it's getting good. 
And then, yeah, then the final two episodes, I was just really, but by the end of it, I couldn't wait for it to end. I'll be honest. I just was like, oh God, let's get this finished. <laughs> so I wasn't really enjoying it. And the, and the conclusion as well was so limp. It was so, you know, the, the thing turns into the light and zaps the marshal into thin air and, and then they're off we go. And I was like, I, I was literally when it ended was like, is that it? Um, so this, didn't do a lot for me this story i mean i haven't watched it for years i now know why <laughs> um i was just hoping that it might be one that i found you know normally i can find some you know something in a story that i've not you know forgotten about and i think oh that bit was charming but yeah this didn't do a lot for me at all really uh even pertwee although he's good in it just you know it just didn't didn't float my boat i mean it's a shame though because it the actual storyline i find quite interesting about you know, them trying to to eradicate the mutts and all that. I think there's a quite a decent storyline in there. It's just executed in such a dull way. Um, I just think it's a shame, really. But, yeah, it didn't do a lot for me, this one, I'm afraid. Uh, what about you? Over to you, mate. Uh, so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of torn with this one. Yeah. Because, in a way, it's, it does have that lovely... 70s classic TV feel to it. Mm. Uh, so I, I I really like that aspect of it. And I think John is very, very good. Uh, but it's, it, it falls foul to the binge-watching six-parter classic Who thing mm. for me because, I, like you, I broke it up a little bit. I did, um, I did three episodes, then I did two, then I did one. So it wasn't too bad. Um, but I can see even doing it that way, it just felt like a never ending story that I was just waiting for the complete, you know, let's just get this done and, yeah. and, and dusted. But I can imagine back in the day, if you had to wait, you know, a whole week to go past and then you were, you were watching it, you know, on a weekly basis, you weren't doing a group of episodes together. It might have not have been so bad because it mm. probably, you know, those old Six parts back then probably felt like a nice serial, you know. It's like, yeah. So yeah. You, you're not really worrying too much about. Well, back in you know back in the early seventies, I'm guessing anyway, people weren't really too fussed about uh, pacing and editing all that stuff. They were more interested in how the story and how the characters would move week by week until the conclusion. So I can hmm. see, but you know, back in the day, it would have been fairly cool, actually. To, to end on those nice cliffhangers that we used to get and wonder what's going to happen next week. And almost yeah. almost one story felt like a mini series, it must have done. Over six weeks, it must have felt like a mini series. Um, mm. But just binge watching, even just three at a time or two at a time, I did have that, oh, you know, and it also falls foul a little bit to the, the, the story loop as well that adds the filler element. So mm. it's that capture and escape capture oh, and escape yeah capture you know it that goes through that yeah. loop a few times so you know it does fall foul to some of the classic who uh and i'm i, I don't want to be too negative about it because you know it's it's still good stuff you know it's still good mm. sci-fi and it's still you know that's still good doctor who in you know in its classic essence but it's just watching it nowadays you've really got to be in them like if you're a, a pertwee fan then it's probably great watch. And we are, I mean, what I mean is if Pertwee is your doctor, mm. you know, and, and, and this era is your thing, then it's probably you know, amazing. But 
and we're big fans of Pertwee, everybody knows that, but it's just, mm. it feels like a bit of a slog, I think is the best yeah. way to put it. But I did like a lot of elements in it. I did like the, I liked the idea, you know, it's that good old fashioned, there's an evil baddie who wants to take over the planet and it's down to the Doctor and Joe and a couple of accomplices to save the day. It does have that really nice adventure, good versus baddie kind of thing going on, which is good. Mm. Um yeah, it just, I think it starts, it starts very well because I really like the mysterious nature of this kind of uh, big spherical, odd looking thing that the Doctor doesn't know too much about. Yeah. You know, so the story's set up very nicely and they're off on the TARDIS and they land on this spaceship um, and, you know, stuff's kicking off as they've, as they've got there. And there's a bit of sort of mystery there because the Time Lords are mentioned and, and that sort of thing. But then as we go into the story, it dips down a bit and gets very filler. And then the ending, and normally with Classic Who, it's like the start's very... I'm talking about like the long padded out ones. The start's mm. very good. It dips down a little bit in the middle because there's some filler and padding, but then you have a good ending. This one, the ending didn't really... Oh, it, it's it, really... Yeah, it felt like in flat. the last 10 minutes or last five minutes almost... It's like, right, we've got to wrap this up now. What's going to happen? Okay, let's turn one of these guys into some supernatural, amazing, godlike being. Mm. He's going to like sort it out, and then they're on their way. The only good thing about the ed- ending to me is I love the fact that the, they want to press the Doctor a bit more, get his report, find out what's going on, and he's having none of it. He's like, oh, yeah, um, yeah uh, there's this thing over here I just need to go and do, mm. and I'll be back in a minute. And then before you know it, they've scarpered and and they're off so that was quite cool and funny but yeah yes it's good don't get me wrong it's it's good it's good classic who good old fashioned you know goody and baddie stuff it's just uh, it just feels very much like a six-parter <laughs> yeah it does and I, for me I, I found the because there's quite a big cast in this and I kept thinking all the way through oh, there's no way I'm going to remember any of these guys <laughs> names no way at all um but I, I think the cast, the supporting cast, really let this down as well. Um, the, apart from one or two that are, are, are sort of giving a fairly decent performance, most of them just they they're just very um, flat in their performance. Mm. Uh, there's mm. loads of fluff lines in it. There's I mean, this, this is yeah. not this is not the 60s. This is not when they sort of film things as live and oh well, that'll have to do. They you know, I know Doctor Who is always against the clock, so I'm, you know, I appreciate they, you know, unless they were really bad, they they wouldn't go back and refilm it. But there's quite a lot of fluff lines in this, and none of them, as far as I can remember, were from Pertwee. They're all from sort of the the other main cast. Um, and I just, yeah, I just found that all the performances performances from the supporting cast, apart from maybe one or two, were really flat. Like it just seemed like. A, they hadn't quite learned their lines properly. B, they weren't really into the story. And there was no sort of enthusiasm or urgency or anything yeah, uh, in, yeah. in in their performance. It just felt like they were just stepping onto a... It felt a little bit like a, a play, really. Like they were stepping onto a stage, saying their lines, like a bit like a play rehearsal, actually, more than a play. Yeah, it just yeah. felt like they were sort of going through the motions of reading their lines. There was no sort of oomph to any performance, really in this I didn't feel apart from one who I'll get on to when we talk more about the characters but 
yeah, that that didn't help. I just kept thinking none of the cast are really going for it in this. They just seem like it's uh, they've turned up, they've put a few hours in and stamped their card and off they go to the pub. It just didn't feel like anyone was really mm. that bothered about it, you know, which I don't think helped with the story. It just there was no one engaged. There was, wasn't any character I cared about in it uh, at all, actually. Yeah, <laughs> so no, that didn't help. No, I, I read you, mate, and it I was surprised really because, um, and I that that's down to the direction for me. And I'm I, the reason I'm surprised is because Christopher Barry has done yes, has has done two really really good, um, story. So the Damons is like the opposite to this. Mm. You know, the Damons it does have the odd scene where it is a little bit you know very static camera and people just walk on, but it still feels like there's energy going on. There's stuff happening. And the brain of Morbius as well, same thing. That's a very small cast and that's very set based. And you would feel it's like, you know, you would imagine based on watching this, that it would be similar, but it's not, it it still has that energy because of the performance from the supporting cast and whatnot. Whereas this one, like you said, it really feels like the supporting cast were given their scripts on the morning of the (laughs) recording you know, because there's quite a few fluffs in there. And yeah. uh, Christopher Barry was just on one of those, I just cannot be asked with this today. <laughs> it, so, it does feel like that. There's, <laughs> there's a couple of points, actually. It's not, yeah, not just the fluff lines, but that I, I was surprised when I saw his name come up as the director because one of the things I wrote in my notes was direction uh, is very bland. Yes, and yeah. then I thought, who is the director? Because normally it gets to, as soon as you get to Cliffhanger, I normally skip to the next episode or switch it. So I, was, I watched to the end to see who it was. And I was like, I was really surprised to see it was Christopher Barry. I was like, oh, that, you know, I, I expected more from him. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, because some, some of the fluff lines are on location as well. So I, again, I'm surprised that they didn't refilm them. Mm. Um, yeah. There's a scene in the lab, in a lab or something where, they use a mirror effect, um, but instead of just using it for when they need the room to shake, they use it for actually just filming standard scenes, and it's a, it makes the picture go all funny mm-hmm. when it's not meant to, and you're sort of thinking, I don't think that just doesn't seem like a very good director director's choice of thing to do. Uh, it, it, it just seems, that, like you said, a little bit half-hearted, like, oh... Don't worry that the picture looks distorted. I can't be bothered, you know, can't be bothered to move the mirror and film it properly. Just film the mirror. It'll be fine. You know, things like that. It did feel a little bit like, yeah, not too bothered and no enthusiasm or gusto at all, really, uh, to the direction. I, I found it really flat. I, actually, I'm surprised it's Christopher Barry. Yeah, I'm, I feel exactly the same. And I'm, I'm, mm. and I'm sure that, you know, back then when they were filming it, it wasn't like I'm pretty sure he took it very seriously as his job and yeah, so yeah. but just yeah. the output of the of each episode it just it feels that way it just feels like at the beginning of each scene if you like so they've set the setup and he's just said right you walk in that way you walk in that way and just get on with your lines you know there's no there, there's no creativity with camera angles with editing or anything like that it's just a uh, you know you walk on and say this and then you're going to walk off that way or you're going to walk on, you're just going to stand there and do your lines, and then we're going to cut and onto the next one. It just feels like very stagnant. And oh, it, um, it really does actually. I mean that that scene where the guy gets pulled out of the you know through the wall of the spaceship, which is quite a good you know for the time is is quite well done, isn't it? He's lens against the spaceship wall, and then he's blasted out into space through the wall, and you think, oh, that was quite good. Mm. But then they all have to pretend they're being sucked in a vacuum, 
and the camera's just static while they sort of move around the floor trying to look like they're being sucked out and it's really bad it looks like something from a you know home movie or something it just looks incredibly stilted um and there's another scene later on towards the end where they're having the shootout and it is literally as if someone's just left the camera rolling and it doesn't move shot for, for what feels like ages and the guy who's sort of the main guy in the scene shooting is right at the side of the picture mm-hmm. and you're just looking at his back and I'm thinking, what is going on here? Has someone forgot to cut to the other camera or is this <laughs> how it's supposed to look? Yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's just not quite up to the, the sort of usual standard, I don't think, or, or the better standard of, of Doctor Who yeah. in terms of direction. Yeah. Yeah. That's a shame because um, I think the idea, the concept is it's not exactly unique, but the concept is fairly good. You could see they yeah, could have yeah, done like, a lot with it. Yeah, I like it. the idea. Yeah, I do like the idea. Oh, actually, while I remember it, um, there was one bit that cracked me up. I really hope you spotted it, talking of fluffs that I can't believe they left in. Did you see the guy on location? I think it's episode three. So there's a bit where the guards are chasing through the quarry with their masks on, and one of the guards runs forward and goes down like a ton of bricks. Oh, yeah. He falls into the hedge right in front of the camera. And I'm like, I had to rewind it. I was like, did that, did he just completely, did they leave that in? Did you spot it? It's a real Star Wars Stormtrooper moment of when, like when the Stormtrooper hits his head on the door, they just, I'll oh, leave it in. No one will notice. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know back in the day, no one had video, you know, they, they wouldn't have imagined this would be on DVD all these years later. And people like me would pause it and rewind. I know that I get it. It, it was seen as just something that would go out and never be seen again. But yeah, I just, uh, even that, I just can't believe they left it in. He, he really goes flying as well. And he gets back up and just carries on the scene as mm. if nothing's happened. It's, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, but you, yeah. you did spot that though, didn't you? Cause I thought well, you'll be, you'll be cracking. Up oh yeah, that. I was cracked. Yeah. Well, the first time I saw it yeah, a while ago, I remember um, missing, I, I remember not noticing it the first time I watched, I ever watched it. Yeah. But then the second time, whenever that was, I remember just wetting my, you know, it's one of those He moments. really goes down as well, doesn't it? It's not like he does a little trip <laughs> and recovers. He just completely falls over. He hits the deck, yeah. Yeah, he yeah, goes he down like up. a ton of bricks. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's one of those times where I thought if I was watching this with Adam, we would just, we'd have to pause it because... Well, I was, I was like, did that just, ha- did he just like, <laughs> I had to rewind it to confirm what I'd just seen. I was like, oh my God. So things like that being left in and so obvious. He's not, he's not a character in the background. He's right at the front of the group and he falls down right in front of the camera and onto the floor. And I'm thinking, you know, if it was the sort of sixties, you'd probably think, well, yeah, you know, but not, yeah, I'm so, I just can't believe they didn't retake that. Yeah. And it's, it's not that great in terms of quality control either, because there's a, a scene right at the beginning where uh, Pertwee almost has a Hartnell moment where... Oh, yeah, he says the line. He says the line, but then he feels like he didn't say it correctly, so he repeats it. It's yeah. almost like he corrected himself, but they, they right. left it in. It's very bizarre. So he says Yeah, it, it's I, right at the beginning. I said he didn't have any fluff lines. You're absolutely right. The very first scene he's in, he, yeah. he says the line twice because he. I think he says one line in front of the other, which he shouldn't have said. So he sort of says the line he should have said second first. And then so he says it again. Yeah. Yeah, he completely messes it up. Yeah. It's quite bizarre. Do you think it was yeah. a time thing? There is a Must lot of been. bluffs and stuff in this. It, it can only be that they were against the clock, I'm sure. But it yeah. just seems a bit, it does. It just, the whole production just feels a little bit like, oh, like the Friday, it's Friday afternoon, let's get this done feeling, doesn't it? Yeah. It's just like, oh, that'll do. Yeah, so it's a well-known. Yeah, it's yeah. a well-known thing as well. Whenever you've been to yeah. any 
any of any event where they've had classic Who Q and A's. Yeah. Um, uh, and they they've had people talking about the production. It's always it's like the most common thing you hear is that back in back in that time, there was there was no time to reset no time. the scene yeah. and do it again. You just had to do it. And if I think that's why they leave those little fluffs in because it's like, well, you know what what's what's worse, going over time and over budget, or just leaving that little fluff in that no one's really gonna. Yeah, because I think it goes back to that thing that we were saying earlier about um, the script editor at the Q and A for Legopolis. Legopolis, mm. what's his name? Um, Chris Rachbidmead. That's it. Um, and he was. It, it goes back to that thing that he was saying that at the time. They had no idea that they were making this TV program that was going to be held in legendary status, you know, in 30, yeah, 40 true. years to come. Yeah. They just felt like they were doing a, you know, they had no, because that's another common theme as well, that they had no idea that come the end of the series that they would do another one. You know, mm. they're always expecting Doctor Who to be cancelled and they weren't going yeah. to do it for donkey's years. So going back to the mindset that they would have been in at the time, it was like, I uh, just cut. It, Pertwee was probably like, because he was a bit of a perfectionist, wasn't he, Pertwee? Mm. So he was probably like, no, I didn't really do that. Sorry, Peter, no time. Sorry, John. Sorry, John. No time. We're on to the next thing. So what was that behind the scenes thing? That there's Oh, a, it's death, death of the Daleks. There's a, yeah, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. There's that yeah, behind the, the scenes. Daleks. Yes. Yeah. Where Pertwee's going over it like he's really trying to get everything spot on and perfect. And yeah. Going over his lines, and then he's getting really frustrated because it's not happening right. So, that's right. I can imagine that there was a lot of wants, like you know, I really want to get this right, and we, you know, we want to do this perfectly, but not enough pennies, not no, enough not, hours in the day. That's right, indeed. But um, sorry, go. On. No, I was just going to say you just saying about the concept though, and I do like like the idea of that that thing the Time Lord sent in that black casket. Mm. Because that's quite cool, and I wish they'd sort of played up to that a bit more. The mystery of it, of what is it? Cause it turns out to be these sort of symbol, the symbols inside on these sort of slate stones and stuff. And it's quite a nice idea that. Um, just not sure the sort of payoff was was there for it. If you know what I mean, I think they could have made more of that. You mean the cryptic little? Because only the person it's attended for can open it, can't they? they? Once they touch it, it'll open up. And who was that? Kai, wasn't it? It was Kai. Kai, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's quite a nice idea. I liked all that. Yeah, very. Yeah, that's what I said at the beginning. That mm. that whole thing with the Time Lords and the 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 mysterious message that the Doctor knows nothing about. It did provide a bit of mystery, a little bit of mm. what's going on here. But it, like you said, when they opened the things, it wasn't even Kai that decrypted the message, was it? it was no, down I know. To, yeah, it was down to the Doctor and the um, the scientist guys, guy. Sondergaard. Yeah. I think the Could name. Be. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, it's um, yeah. Just to say again, it has some great elements like that. Some really mm. cool things. It's just who are those three sort of Lord chaps that turn up at the end as well, randomly in the last part or whatever, or the part five. You know those guys that like the judge suddenly turns up, doesn't he, to put put everything right and yeah. investigate? And I'm like, who are these guys? Well, well, that and they, was... they go they go nowhere, do they? They just sort of yes. Know, so. Yeah. That, seem a bit pointless. They were a little bit because, well, the the character's name is just the investigator. Oh, <laughs> he he's the guy <laughs> yeah. that turns up because everything's gone to poop. 
basically yeah. on this on solace you know things aren't happening and people are dying and so the marshal he's basically covered up everything he said well i'm not in the wrong because i'm under pressure and i've done this and we've had illnesses and deaths and all this stuff going on and i'm trying to run a ship and you know and all this stuff but actually he's the one that's engineered all of the the bad that's goings it. on so i thought the investigator was just about to tip the because all the evidence starts to stack up against the marshal, doesn't it? So the doctor's like, you know, he's not a bad man, everything. And then Joe turns up and he's like, right, she's not hostage anymore, so I can spill the beans. So then he's like, actually, he's terrible. He's done this and he's done that. And everyone (laughs) else is like, yes, he's bad. And I thought the investigator, played by John uh, Peter Howell, he's really good. I'll come on to him in a minute. Mm. I thought he was going to be like, right, yes, I've heard all I need to hear. Right, you, you know, you're in the stock sort of thing. Yeah, but then he sort of whips up. out at the end because the mutt turns up and they all freak out even though the doctor's like, no, remain calm. He's not going to attack. And, you know, um, uh, Sondergaard's like, yes, don't worry. He's not going to attack. Just leave him. Everything's fine. So that all kicks off. And then the investigator, uh, yeah, the investigator is just like, oh, yeah. So I'm not going to listen to anybody. I've made my mind up. The mutants mm-hmm. are evil. Away you go, Marshall, as you were sort of thing. So the, yeah. you're absolutely right. They're pretty pointless. They turn up because I thought they... I thought they were going to turn up to sort of turn the hand in favour of justice. That, you know, the marshal was going to be found out to be the bad yeah. guy. That's their job. <laughs> but then That's they, what I thought, because they turn up at the end. I thought, oh, here they come to wrap yeah, it all up, yeah. but no. Yeah, they turn up, he has a bit of a speech, a bit of an argument, and then he just sort of, you know, lets, lets us all down at the end. I mean, it, it turns out all right in the end, but he, it's a pointless thing, really. It feels yeah. like it, it, like you said, we've said there's some really good elements in this. You know, the sort of basic storyline is good and the stuff of the capsule and the investigators that could have been. It seems to me that they had some great stuff. They just need, it needed a couple of more rewrites, I think. They had it all kind of there, but didn't quite get the story finished. And it just yeah, feels a little yeah. bit like a bit like the production just feels a little bit half baked. Yes. You know, like they yeah. were close. They had some good stuff, but they just never really pulled it all together. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Because I think this could have been really good, actually, when you when you look at some of the stuff that's in it. But yeah, could have been amazing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and the um, so let's talk about some characters then. So the story yeah. the story is fairly simple. We don't need to go into much story. It's just a drawn out over six parts. <laughs> the marshal wants to take over Solace and run it for his own personal gains. He's a evil, greedy guy. Mm. Um, and Kai, who's one of the inhabitants of Solace, is fighting back. Um, because the the other inhabitants, they're sort of been... The, uh, I think the way that Sondergaard, the, the scientist guy who's on Solos, he kind of explains it as they would have gone through this mutation anyway over like centuries on, on Solos, but it's just been accelerated because of all the radiation and mm. tests that they're doing. So that's the story. And that's a good idea, isn't it? That's Very a nice good. concept, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but then... Yeah, so in terms of characters, you, you mentioned there's a big supporting cast, and they let us yeah. know a little bit. Um, I, I know they're pointless, but the guy who plays the investigator, Peter Howe, is a very, very good actor. I liked his sternness and his, you know... I, I wish he was in it more, because I yeah. absolutely agree with you. I think he, when he come in, in ep- I think it's episode five, isn't it? When he comes on, he's he's quite... Suddenly, the acting level is upped, upped again. Because as I said, I feel like everyone else is pretty poor, 
he walks on, he's got a bit of presence to him and he delivers his lines with a bit more conviction. So suddenly you've got someone that sort of almost wakes you up and brings you back in the story. Yeah. As I said, it's a shame that they don't do anything because he, he is good. Uh, and there's some good, good little scene between him and Pertwee. And I thought, ah, oh, right. Okay. We've got, we've got a decent actor on, on the studio floor. This might pick up, but yeah, unfortunately he doesn't get used enough, does he? No. Um, cause he is definitely one of the better ones in it. He's awesome. And yeah. Uh, he's in one of my fa- so um anyone that listens to any sort of radio drama so if you're the sort of person that likes big finish and the audio stuff mm. um peter hell is in one of the best ever radio dramatizations ever which is um the lord of the rings oh right so back in 1981 the bbc did a massive um uh, 26 episode and they were half an hour long each really long um, radio dramatization of the Lord of the Rings. And he played um, Saruman, Saruman the white. And he's really, really good in it. If anyone's not listened, there, there are two, there are two radio dramas that everyone has to listen to in their life just because the performances are unbelievable. So the first one is The Lord of the Rings. If you've not listened to The Lord of the Rings radio drama, you are missing out on some of the best performances from British actors like ever. Um, it's got Ian Holm in it. It's got Bill Nighy, um, Peter Vaughan, loads and loads of really good, um, now established, very famous actors. Yeah, uh, David Collings. He's oh yeah, it. he plays Legolas. Oh, yeah. marvelous! Um, loads of people, <laughs> just so many great people, and the story is amazing. It's like really true to the. I don't want to go on too much, but it's really true to the books. But Peter Howell is really, really good as Saruman the White. The other raid, just incidentally, the other radio drama that you have to listen to is the original Star Wars radio dramas from National Public Radio. So, roughly the same time, I think it was like the early eighties or the mid eighties. Mm. they brought out the Star Wars radio dramas, which is so good, especially the first one, which is based on... Didn't even know about that, no. Oh, my God. No, I didn't even know about that. Right. I won't be listening to the Lord of the Rings one, though. Right. I don't like the Lord of the Rings. Right, the the Star Wars one is just (laughs) as good. So the Star Wars one is the trilogy, so there's each part from the original trilogy, and it stars Mark Hamill... Luke Skywalker. It's got um, a different actor playing Han Solo. Anthony Daniels, a C-3PO, obviously, because he's in everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a load of people. But it's so, so good because it goes behind the scenes of everything that happens. So it, it's the story of A New Hope, but it's got loads of extra stuff that's not in the film. So it goes through, you know, like Rogue One, where it's got yeah, the, the yeah. story of how they got the Death Star plans. It's got all that in there. It's got extra story about Luke Skywalker on Tatooine before he goes off. And oh my God, it's the best thing ever. Okay. Well, I shall look it up. I'm, I'm, I'll put Lord of the Rings on the wish list. On the wish list. I'm not yeah. a big Lord of the Rings fan, but Star Wars, yes. Yeah. So there are two radio dramas you have to listen to. I know you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, so skip that, but go to the Star Wars original radio drama, NPR. It's. Oh my God, it's made. Anyways, Peter. Uh, it's, in, it's interesting he was in it because I mean, he, Peter Howell, I mean, because he's done quite a lot actually. I, I didn't yeah. recognize him like when he did, when he came on screen. I didn't think, oh, well, there's an actor I know, but he's done loads, hasn't he? Um, loads maybe, loads, I don't know, he's yeah. done, a lot of, <laughs> done a lot of radio as well, so maybe that's why. But but yeah, he's done a lot of TV as well. So, yes. Uh, what did you think to um, the guards that are knocking around? So there were two rubbish they look like they're laughing half the time <laughs> there was a bunch of them that ran around especially on the location shots they sort of did the whole running through the fog 
you know, mm. running after the mutts and, and all the rest of it. But there were two that sort of took the lead, weren't they? They were Stubbs and Cotton, cotton. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Cotton. Yeah, so those two, they kind of, um, yeah, along with the rest of the cast, they kind of felt a little bit flat, didn't they? Yeah, to me. massively. Yeah, they didn't do anything for me. And again, just just in terms of performance, it was just the case of they were stood there reading lines. There was nothing really uh, in terms of performance. The Stubbs maybe had a little bit more to him, but but Cotton, played by Rick James, I mean, he was so wooden, wasn't he? <laughs> very, so very. we're going to go into the spaceship and get them, I think. And it's like, what? Yeah, he <laughs> was. They were both pretty poor, though, to be fair. Um, yeah. Not good. Not good, no. I would say. And it's not like, yeah, it, it's not like they didn't have a fairly meaty part because uh, compared to they the other guys. They had to get loads to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They had um, they had a fairly, you know, like I said, a fairly meaty part they could have got their teeth mm. into. But yeah, they just felt a little bit like. It, it looked to me like a lot of the cast just weren't taking it seriously. As again, it looks almost as if they're in rehearsal. Like some of the other guards, just some of the ones that don't have lines, for example, that just, you know, extras. As a, there is one guy behind a visor that I'm sure he's laughing at one in one scene <laughs> as if like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. we're, the, the, you know, the camera is rolling. You know, what I mean, it's just like, could you get into character, do you think? Um, <laughs> there's quite a few of the supporting cast that are like that, that just look like they've, gone out on the street and said, oh, we need some extras. Could you could you just come in and stand on this spaceship set for a minute? And, uh, you know, they just look like gormless, as if, what am I doing here? You know? And again, I think that has to come down a little bit to the direction. They should have been saying, right, we're, we're rolling, so you want to look serious because these guys mean business and, you know. But they don't. They just look like they're having a, a laugh. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rick <laughs> yeah. James, he didn't turn out to be the best of actors. The only other things he did was... Oh, yeah, sorry, I meant more these extras, oh, the extras, non-speak yeah. ones. But, yeah, I mean, Rick James and, and Christopher Collis Stubbs weren't nah, that much better. Not really. Rick no. James had a little stint in Blake 7. Did he? Oh! And then in a, a little appearance in Dixon and Doc Green, and that was pretty much your lot, I think. Oh, no, he's. I've just realised yeah. which the, the scene he's in as well in Blake 7. and oh. I knew I'd, I'd seen him in something else. I should have known it was Blake 7. Yeah, he... Oh, my... God, I, he delivers this line in Blake Seven so bad. Uh, I can't believe I didn't realise it was him. He, he's like, "Words are just words," or something. He says, "It's like, oh my, God, he's so bad in Blake Seven. Thank goodness he's only in it for like, oh dear, two minutes." You've got, oh, it's, it's right towards the end of the series as well. Um, yeah, I can't believe I didn't realise it was him. I should have, I should have recognised him. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Not, I'm sorry, but they didn't do much for me. Not in terms good. of performance, those guys. Yeah. What do you think to John Hollis as the scientist guy, Sondergaard? Is he the the sort of monk looking guy? The, the is he the sort of spiritual bold guy? Yes, he's he's or he was. I think he um, evaded capture or something on Solace, so he just stayed yeah. there and carried on with his experiments and so on. One of the yeah. only people that was kind of into his role, really. He, see, he, yeah. he looked like he was, he he knew what that role was about. You know, it wasn't just a straight cut, you know, old British accent scientist person. He was actually something different. He was, you know, he'd been affected by stuff and was keen to fix everything with the Doctor. He, he was one of the better, mm. I would say. Yeah, uh, I mean, even he has a, a few fluff lines. He was certainly, um, like you said, you did feel like he'd taken the character 
on board and was actually trying to do something with it. Yes. Um, so yeah. yes, I do think it was one of the better. Yes. Of a bad bunch. Yeah. And for me, he gets he gets extra points because he played a certain small character in the Empire Strikes Back. Who was that, Adam? Testing your Star Wars knowledge. What's his yeah. name? John Hollis. John, John Hollis. Hollis. Yeah, he played a very small part in the Empire Strikes Back, but a very cool little part. Well, well he, he wasn't Salacious Crumb, was no, he? No, <laughs> no. I know he wasn't Salacious Crumb. He didn't have any pump. makeup on. He looks exactly the same as oh. he did in this. But oh, just right. a very small part. Um, you don't know. Oh, no. No, I don't know. He, he played Lando Calrissian's little... I uh, say little. He played Lando Calrissian's kind of assistant, which is a character called Lobot. He looked like he, he had got headphones the thing with the on bolt. the side. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I can picture him now. Yeah, so, got the bits on the side of his head. Yeah, He's bo- yeah gotcha. Extra points for um for being in Star Wars. Yes. Yeah, he wasn't <laughs> too bad. No, he wasn't too yeah. bad. What did you think to... There was a character called Varen. He's, he, at the beginning, he's the one that sort of goes into cahoots with the Marshal. They sort of set up this plan to assassinate yeah. the administrator. Um, mm. So what do you reckon to him? Because he kind of gives the responsibility to his son and then the marshal just kills him anyway so what do you reckon to varon he was the (laughs) the guy that was meant to be like the very war battle like yeah let's go salonian yeah what do you um he didn't leave much of an impression on me i mean again i suppose i've got to give him points above the rest for actually trying to get in character um there was a bit more room to him than than some of them um but yeah he didn't do a lot for me to be honest I wasn't too bothered when he pegged it yeah for me he went the other way I reckon he went a bit too far into a bit over the a top bit theatre yeah yeah. oh more, yeah it's very theatre yeah yeah I think that character needs to be a bit more understated like the bit where they're on solace and they get to the little camp where he lives and stuff and oh yeah and he's got his helmet on and his sword and oh. his, you know bit. yeah at that point I was yeah just thinking oh god yeah a uh, bit too OTT Yes. Uh, what about Kai then? He's a very, very enthusiastic sort of political, you know, we're going to push back against the oppression. That guy. Mm-hmm. We're not yeah. going to stand for it. We want Solus back. You know, the guy that runs off with Joe for a while in the caves. And... That's right. Does he, he's, he Does he get killed by the mutts? I can't remember. No, I only watched this last night. No, there was a the bit one that... where the mutts are all around him, isn't there? Or was that a different guy? Yeah, but he, they get saved by... Um, oh, that's yeah. right. So What's Kai, that? he's the one that throughout the whole story is, you know, he hates the fact that they're on solace and stuff. And then at the end, he transcends into the, that's the, it, the into God, the multicolored. Yeah. 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 I wasn't so, too fast with him, mate. I don't know about you. No. Well, you can tell cause I couldn't, he's the main character. It's taken me that whole description you just given me to work out who he was. Um, yeah. <laughs> same as you. I was just a bit, just forgettable. Yeah, and he's a main character as well. He should have really stood out. Like when you said Kai, I should be thinking, oh yeah, the guy who saves the day and turns into the big light at the end, but couldn't even remember who he was. So yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot him already. And he watched this last night as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Not just forgettable. Very forgettable. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's been in much, really. He was in a town called Mercy, apparently. Played the character Abraham. See? Yeah. Oh right, yes. He had a very small part in Batman as well, 1989's <laughs> Tim Burton's Batman. Oh right, okay, very right. small. But yeah, I wasn't too blown away with his performance in this one. It's a bit wishy-washy, a little bit. He kind of talked the talk, you know, very shouty and everything, but just not much in a way of conviction for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a very small part by Jeffrey Palmer then as the administrator at the beginning. Oh. 
God, yeah. Completely forgot. Again, you forgot. like a very big actor. <laughs> yeah. And like, don't forget, I've only just watched this. It's not as if I'm trying to do this from memory from years ago. Yeah, I forgot he was even in it. And he's he's a very well-known actor and, and a good actor as well. But he's he's just in episode one, isn't he? Or one and two? I can't remember. No, uh, just one. He gets killed by Marshall, doesn't he? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Well, yeah. a waste of a good actor. Um, yeah. Well, he hires um, Varen's son to assassinate him. Yeah. And then he kills, the Marshal kills Varen's son to wipe up the evidence. And then, yeah. But no, he had. Um, I mean, he's a great actor, but it's yeah. just, yeah, I'm sorry, but just not not a role that oh, he's going to be remembered for. Of I'm course afraid. not. No, a waste of a good actor, yeah. Not enough of him at all. No. I can't believe I forgot he was even in it. So I watched that. Uh, I watched that on Sunday night then, and I've already forgotten already him. Forgot. Terrible. Yeah. yeah. Jeffrey Palmer. Not uh, like he said. Not one to be remembered for. But no. yeah, a good name so, to have on the list. Well, a good name to have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, we've done stubs and stuff. Go on, uh, get on to Jager. I'm dying for you to get to Jager Bomb. <laughs> Go on then, Jager Bomb. Jager Bomb. George Pr- George Pravda. What are you He's, saying? dreadful he doesn't get one <laughs> single line out I know. correctly no. oh god and I, and i'm sure i've seen him in other things because as soon as he come on to set i was like oh i think we've we've finally got a good actor come on here i'm sure i recognize this guy and he fluffs everything he fluffs his way through the whole production <laughs> he's rubbish yeah what else yeah. has he been in oh was he an enemy of the world yeah was that yeah, he's been, yeah. Well, he's been in loads of things over oh. the years, but in terms of um, of he was in the moon. as in moon base. Oh, he no, was in. De- oh, yeah, he was in Deadly Assassin. That's where I'm. That's where I'm remembering yes. him from. Yeah. I think. Well, I'm sorry, but he just. Yeah, I don't know. I think he needed to perhaps another night to get to know his lines a bit, and yeah, just the character as well. I mean, just so forgettable. Sorry. Yeah. Rubbish. And, and he's from. Um, he was he was from Prague, so he's like got that Austrian kind of accent. Yeah, he's got the good. accent, isn't he? Yeah. Um, so he's got like the he's got the look down, and he's got the he's accent. Definitely and stuff. got the look. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just his lines, like you said. It was just like it was almost oh. like he got given the script like moments before he went on the set. Yeah. And he, <laughs> but like I say, he's got the look. You think, oh, here we go. I know. Like I said, I recognised him straight away, and I thought, oh, here we go. Is an is an actor. Yeah. And then he was just, it's yeah, terrible. He just, yeah. Oh man, such a letdown. Yeah, but I'm sure he's good in Deadly Assassin, isn't he? I'm, re- I'm sure he's good in that because I like that that story. But um, yeah, like you said, it does feel like he's literally just been handed his lines as he's walked onto set. Yeah, here we go. Uh, what's his name? Here we go, George. Here's the script. Oh, thank you, thank you, oh boy. Oh, zero degrees. The spaceship caller crashes. Oh, dreadful. <laughs> Yeah, I know, mate. It's um, and and again, he gets quite a lot to do. Like, there's the scenes with Pertwee and stuff in the in that you know in, in the laboratory where they're tinkering about yep, with stuff. Yep. He's got loads of stuff to do, and uh, yeah. Well, he sorry. makes Pertwee look really good. I mean, Pertwee's <laughs> good anyway, but he, ma- you know, Pertwee's got a decent, you know, person to sort of bounce off of and stuff. So it's too much power. Yeah. Oh, so, I, I did. I did like it when he got blown up. Yeah, it makes Pertwee <laughs> shine even more than we did naturally. You know, yeah. against someone pretty mediocre. But yeah, yeah. Uh, what about the marshal then, Paul? Go on, then the marshal. Come on, like the, the marshal, the the main baddie, if you like. Um, what a pompous twit! But, it, <laughs> but <laughs> a pompous twit. But do you know what? Despite his performance being 
so over the top, at least he's <laughs> giving it some. He's the only one, really, that's yes. actually yeah. trying to do... I mean, I'm not saying it's a particularly good performance, but God bless him for trying. At least he's like, you know, he's trying to be a bit authoritarian and deliver his lines with a bit of gusto. And you certainly, you know, he makes the scenes come alive a bit more when he's on. Because I was, honestly, I was really like, I could have fell asleep through watching this serial. But at least when he comes on, there's a bit of something happening and there's a bit of energy to his performance. So God bless him for trying. You know, he looks ridiculous and he's, as I said, not a great performance, but he is trying and I and I appreciate it because it, it's one of the better members of the supporting cast in my view. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, but we might have seen more of him because he was in The Smugglers. Was he? Yeah. Hmm. yeah he he played... keeps talking into that bicycle pump all the way through as well, <laughs> doesn't it? It really annoyed me. He keeps opening it, talking, opening it. I'm just like, oh dear. Yeah, yeah. he played the squire in the, the in the smugglers, but unfortunately, none of it really exists. It exists. So we can't we can't judge him on that. But yeah. in this one, I think his performance was a little bit pompous, and it was a bit. It's uh, way yeah, it was. But the one thing that I did like about the, what he brought to the character is that he did have that thing where we wanted him to be beaten. We wanted him to be. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So we, yeah, he, You can't wait for him to get his come up. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So he did bring that sense of, oh, you know, you're an, you're an evil so-and-so, and, -so, and yeah. it's going to be great when you get your come up. And so he did bring that, you know, love to hate him sort of, sort of vibe, I suppose. But yeah. again, not amazing, but like, you know, al along with um, uh, John Hollis as Sondergaard, to kind of bring in something. They they stand role. out as the two that, you know, even though the performance might have been not the best, they, they definitely stand out as the better two from the supporting yes. cast, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Katie Manning then, Joe Grant. Oh, she's so sweet. I love Katie. Um, and I love the character of Joe Grant. I, I think her and Pearl are so great together. They get split up a lot in they this do. story. But yeah. um, like you said, the end scene where they sneak off and the little cheeky chuckle about the TARDIS and all that stuff. She is just a wonderful companion. Um, she gets some nice little moments in this like that, but I wouldn't say it's, it's not one of the better stories for her character by any means, you know, she gets some nice stuff on the location in the caves and, and that, but um, yeah, it's a little bit, you know, she runs away, she gets captured, she runs away, she gets captured. There's a bit too much of that. So it's not, not a great story for Joe Grant, but you know, She's always nice when in the scene she's in. She's always giving a good performance, I think. Uh, yes, I, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, she she's always. Yeah. I think, like you summed up, she's very sweet. She's very cute. She is. She's sweet. charming, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. Um, but she just doesn't. It's one of those stories where she doesn't get a great deal to do. That's the only thing. She's just no. She gets tied up and she escapes, but then she gets immediately captured again, and yeah. it's a bit like oh, she's okay. She just yeah. Mm. Um, and then uh, Pertwee himself then. Do you reckon this is, I would say this is one of his best performances, but he does have some very nice little moments. I yeah. Would say. Yeah. He doesn't stand out in it, but he's, he's very uh, solid in it. I solid. Yeah. He gives a good, he gives a solid performance. He seems very calm in it as well. Um, it's a very relaxed um, performance, but I mean that in a good way, because sometimes with Pertwee you do feel a bit like you mentioned that, death of the daleks story you feel he's a little bit on the edge of getting his lines out and perhaps trying to inject uh, uh something into the scene and you know he can mm -hmm. sometimes feel a bit on the edge this one he seemed to glide through it um 
I mean, I normally use this term in a bad way, but I, I mean it in a good way, uh, that he seems a bit on autopilot. He seems to just breeze through this episode. I know what you mean. Um, yeah. But I don't mean that in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I just mean he just, uh, yeah, I think he's he, he's good in it. He just doesn't shine. There's no sort of standout shine moment, but there's nice moments, like you said. So yeah. Um, yeah. he's got a very colourful, <laughs> would you call it a cravat? I don't know. Yeah, cravat. That's like a rough old shirt, isn't it? It's, uh... <laughs> no, that thing he's wearing that's sort of split in two looks like a little scarf that thingy. Very colourful. Oh, oh, yeah, cravat, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's not, I wouldn't say it's one of his best stories or performances, but it's, he's certainly good. He's certainly good in it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he does have a couple of nice little, <laughs> we get a couple of um, Aikido shots. Oh, yeah, we, we do. Which yeah, is nice. Yeah. Um, but I like, quite like the scenes with. Um, with um, Jaeger, you mm. know, when he's in the laboratory and stuff, and Jaeger's basically saying, you know, we're going to launch missiles, we're going to do this test and whatnot. And he he has a couple of little outbursts, doesn't he? Yeah. Like, genocide is a side effect. And, mm. you know, he's very Actually, what is, what is nice about this, you know, this story for Pertwee is that he does get to do a lot of tinkering around. And the thing is, I always believe, even though I know what he's doing <laughs> is nonsense when he's <laughs> making all these little contraptions and playing with crystals. I know it's all nonsense, but John Pertwee has a great way of making his doctor look and sound like he's doing something, doesn't he? Believe you know, like when yeah. he's, yeah, when he's tinkering around with that, you know, that piece of machinery. I kind of believe that he's doing something. Absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. you know. So, uh, and it is. I always love seeing the third Doctor tinkering around making gadgets. So he gets to do a bit of this in that story, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. They kind of had a a slight missed opportunity though to mm-hmm. say his most famous line. Because he's, yeah, because there was one there was one scene where they were engineering this thing. I don't know exactly what it was. I think it was episode three or four where him and and Jaeger are developing this piece of equipment that's essentially going to reverse the radiation out of the atmosphere or something. That's it, yeah. And it would it's the perfect type of sort of pseudoscience for him to say reversing the polarity. It's the perfect opportunity for him to yeah. to say that. They kind of miss it really, but he does say it. He says he says something else. He does say reverse or he does mention one of the words. So I thought, "Oh, so close." But yeah, he does say yeah. it. He says something like the polarity's gone. <laughs> Something or other, I think, and I'm like, oh, I thought he was going to say it. He didn't. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. no, he's, he's he is. Yeah, like I think the overall theme of this story, in terms of the story, the the performances and everything, it, I think mm. the best way for me to sum it up is that it, it's not one of those stories where these things are going to be particularly remembered for, and they're not no. stand out, and they're not one. It's not, it's definitely not a story that if a listener said, can you? recommend some Pertwee yeah. stories you know it, it, it's definitely not one that we would say right here's the first Pertwee story to go and watch you know it's yeah, definitely not, not like that no, at all. no but it is fairly solid it, 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 it's not terrible but mm. it just doesn't set the world you're not sitting there thinking right I'm in the mood for Pertwee where's the yeah. Mutants DVD yeah but, it's, well as I said I haven't reached for this story for ages um, I do want to quickly ask you what you think of the Mutt design though because I love we were talking about the Robert Harrop figure earlier I, there is, I do like the design of the Mutt I think it looks good <laughs> uh, and for the time the costume I think is, is, is pretty decent actually but it's just that they're on the other hand they're, they're, they're pretty rubbish because when they're supposed to be menacing and they're shuffling around and waving their arms about they look ridiculous so <laughs> they and that could be down to the way they've been shot so you could 
blame the direction, but yeah, so I've got a bit of a sort of a, a love hate thing with a mutt. I think they they look silly on screen, but I do love do love the look of them, the actual design of them. So I, I do like the mutts. I do. I just wonder yeah. what you thought. Yeah. Yeah, from the waist up, I really like them. Yeah. Um, I think they look really good. Um, it's just they shuffle along, don't they? And yeah. Yeah. Not too. I mean, there's one at the start of the. Uh, the brain of Morbius, isn't there? It's the one that attacks Hodo. Yeah, it gets its head chopped off. Yeah, it gets beheaded, doesn't it? So they do make yeah. another appearance in in Who. So they're not that yeah. bad. But yeah. I think from the from the waist up, they look really good. But it's just the restrictions on the costume prevents them from being menacing because they just mm. it's like they've got slippers on that are too big so they can't run. <clears throat> yeah, so they just shuffle along and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not too bad though. Mm. Not too bad. Is there anything else, Bud? You want to mention before we? Put some scores down. No, the only other thing I'd got in my notes was interesting in brackets music. We always get interesting music in the Pertwee era. Um, yeah. It was pretty crazy in this one. It gets stuck in your head. Um, but no, I, I, I think we've pretty much covered it, I think. <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> Whose turn is it to go first? I oh, you go first. I me. haven't got a clue what I'm scoring this. Yeah, so I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this a five. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A five. Um, yeah. I, I, the reason I wanted you to go first is because I'd written five and then changed it to 4.5. Because <laughs> But is it that bad? No. I'll stick with my original. I'll go with a five as well. Because it's, right. it's neither good nor bad. It's just there, isn't it? It's just um, there. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll go with a five as well. You go with a five. Yeah. Right That's up. what I originally wrote. So, um, And also, underneath that, I've written in great big capitals, dull. dull. <laughs> a dull five. Yeah, a dull five. Uh, we had um, some thoughts and reviews in from our listeners always. We've got an audio clip in from our regular reviewer. This is Sammy Satine. Yay! Hey, Gary and Adam, Sammy Satine here. So, the mutants ruffles! I love his outfit in this. This was good. I'd sort of forgotten about it, but it's quite a good story. Jeffrey Palmer as the Inquisitor is good. He's in Voyage of the Damned many years later, which is quite nice. I like Joe... The Doctor doesn't appear quite so grumpy to be summoned by the Time Lords as he usually is. Still, Ruffles is one of my favourite Doctors. Interesting to note, the Skybase Overlords calling the mutants mutts is like the Carleds calling the mutants mutos in Genesis. Similar sort of distaste. I give it 8 mutts out of 10. See ya. 8? Eight high score from Sammy there. Not too wow. bad. Thank you very much, Sammy. Mm. Over on Twitter, Jordan Shortman, one of our writers, said, "An interesting story that tries to do some political commentary but gets lost along the way. Mm. The leads are great, and one or two of the guest cast are good, but the other performances just don't do it. The creatures are great, but it's too much of a muddled story to be excellent." Yeah. Uh, Tardis files HQ. For me, it's one of the weakest stories from the Pertwee era. Uh, it's quite bland and hasn't got much going for it. Don't get me wrong, it's a good idea with a rather boring and bland execution of five. Yes, agree. Uh, Spencer Shively says, first time viewing a story and only the fourth Pertwee era I've, uh, story I've seen. Oh. Uh, quite enjoyed it for the most part. Some bad CGI on the mutants, but didn't take away from the story. Honestly, don't think I'm a huge fan of the third Doctor, though. Uh, mm. 7.5 wobbly overlord communicators out of 10. <laughs> yeah. uh, Edward Giluli says, uh, a noble idea to look at a parted but uh, 
this is a slog. Too long for six episodes, some dreadful guest acting and poor special effects. One of Pertwee's weakest stories, a 5.5. 5.5, 5. 5. okay, yeah. Over on Facebook, Jeff Waddle says, Arguably one of Pertwee's weakest outings. Nowhere near enough of a story to warrant six episodes, based on a premise that the Time Lord sent the Doctor on a mission to deliver scrolls, when they could have just delivered themselves. Yeah, there is that. I did think that, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Escape, capture, escape, capture, and repeat. And Cotton is one of the worst acted characters in all of Who, making Lee John in Enlightenment seem like Alec Guinness. He gives it just a four out of ten. You should see him in Blake 7. <laughs> uh, Charlie Turner says, A pretty good one, but forgettable, and the monsters look rather cheap. I know it's the classic series and everything, but still just the same. Those are the only nitpicks, though. 7.5. Cheers, Charlie. Uh, Joseph Howarth says, one word for this story, oh, pants. Oh, phew. The whole story is a slog fest. Six <laughs> parts is too much for a story that virtually has no plot whatsoever. The effects are crap. It's too much of captured runaway. Captured mm-hmm. runaway again, just rinse and repeat. Uh, as for Cotton, well, put it this way, if you were to replace him with a blank, with a plank of wood for his scenes, and that would have summarised his acting. Wooden, basically. Mm-hmm. oh dear the Marshall is walking cliche and again it's really not story worth pawning for three out of ten three and lastly Patrick Bogard says this one was a bit of a turkey for me I have a newfound respect for the people who eagerly tuned in on Saturday nights for this story but Pertwee seemed flat the set the set looked like Whip Renew and Leisure Centre <laughs> and there was so much filler long camera pans and gaps between dialogue uh if I was to be generous, I'd give it uh, a three-pound land mutant Halloween costume out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, Patrick. Oh, dear. Whitbring you and Leisure Centre. That rings a bell. Mm. What was, what's that been in, Patrick? Whitbring you and Leisure Centre. I'm sure that's been in something. The Britass mm. Empire. There, I knew it was. Oh, something. is it? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, well, yes, it does. Yeah, gotcha. Right. Now yeah. we know what you mean, Patrick. Now yes, we but, know. Yeah. Well, oh. well remembered. What a show that was, the Britass Empire. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for your thoughts and and th- our fairly low scores, as expected. We knew this one. Yeah. Would not set the world yeah. on fire, but uh, mm. uh, thank you all the same for sending in your your thoughts and reviews. Very cool. Next week, it's over to newer Doctor Who. Yeah. What have we got next week, bud? So we're, we're popping around to Chloe Webber's house next week to watch Fear Her. Yeah, that's guaranteed to be high scores. <laughs> Doctor Who, Fear Her. Fear Her, yeah. Let's see what you guys think of that then. Killer for balls of twine. Whoa! <laughs> for next week. Um, uh, I can't remember. Have I seen Fear Her recently? I don't think so. I'm going to get you. <laughs> I yeah. think I've only I, seen it the once, if I recall. This one was the, the, the what do you call it, uh, Olympics flame at the end, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 So anyway, get your Blu-rays or DVDs, whatever you want to watch for that one, because we'll eagerly await your thoughts for that. Betamax, VHS. <laughs> Betamax. <laughs> I think we're going to do there for 221. Okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sticking with us through episode 221. Uh, some good news and merch, apart from the passing away of Graham Curry, obviously. 
some very good news and merch. Um, let us know if you pick up any of those Jelly Baby t-shirts or mugs mm. or whatever. They look okay. They look okay. Yeah. Adam's not sold on the price, but... No, it needs to come down in price. There we go. Yes. <laughs> uh, so next week for episode 222, it is the 10th Doctor Story Fear Her. So get that watched. We'll put a social post out on Monday as usual, asking for your thoughts. Uh, so why not send uh, an audio clip in? Just get your phone out or whatever recording mechanism you've got, computer, whatever. Send us an audio review up to a minute long. That would be awesome. In the meantime, though, head over to the website, www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can listen to all of our previous shows on there. Plus, there are buttons to link off to the various podcast networks, so you can give us a subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like. Uh, new shows land every Friday, so you won't miss those. And there's also links to the social networks because we chat plenty of Doctor Who. Also, check out Adam's channel, The Geek's Handbag, over on YouTube. Oh, yes. Yes, beavering away, making lots of new videos at the minute. You won't be disappointed. Give Adam a mm-hmm. sub and a like and all that jazz. And Adam's yeah. also on the usual social stuff under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. Uh, yes, give us give us a like, give us a follow, and join in the community. We've got a very cool community around the podcast and Adam's YouTube channel. It's very, very cool. Mm. Until next week, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember, it's... Yeah.